Hello, and thank you for tuning in to New Glasgow Christian Church. My name is Stephen Weatherby, and I'm the pastor here at NGCC, a small rural church with a big heart located in central Prince Edward Island, Canada. We're so glad that you could join us. Good morning. <laughs> it is so good to be back after a crazy couple of weeks, and <laughs> we're all recovering, but uh, it is great to be back um, and have a little bit of, of a normal uh, feeling Sunday. As we get back into First Thessalonians this morning, I'd like to share a quote with you from a 19th century Scottish theologian named John Brown on the topic of holiness. Holiness does not consist in mystic speculations, enthusiastic fervors, or uncommanded austerities. It consists in thinking as God thinks and willing as God wills. For the past couple months, we've been talking about what it means to have faith in uncertain times. And we talked a little bit about the fact that, in a way, we've always lived in uncertain times as the church. We've been talking about what it means to be the church, the body of Christ, when we don't know what the future holds, when the ground feels like it's shifting beneath our feet, or when the world is changing around us. We've talked about the importance of following godly examples from past times of uncertainty. We've talked about the importance of making sure that our goals and our priorities are aligned with God's and what that means. And we've talked about the opposition and suffering that we can expect to face if we are going to be followers of Jesus and the importance of standing firm on God's word in the face of opposition of suffering as the church. This morning, as we continue through these letters, we're going to be talking about the importance of pursuing holiness in our lives, because God has called us to live holy lives. He's called us to be transformed, to change, to be made into new creations. Romans 12.2 says, Do not copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know what God's will is for you which is good and pleasing and perfect. When we live in times of uncertainty, it is that much more important to not just stand firm in our faith, but to grow in it, to be transformed, to pursue holiness, to strive to live in a way that pleases God because he has set us apart for his purposes. 2 Timothy 2.21 says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses themselves from what is dishonorable, they will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, and ready for every good work. And that is what we should strive to be. So let's dive in this morning and read our passage for this week, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. Uh, and I know we had a week off as we were all sick, um, but you may remember that last time we were together, we started a new uh, a thing where we all stand as we read our passage together. So I'm going to force you to stand with me this morning uh, in recognition of what this is that we're reading, the power of the Word of God to change lives. It says, Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God, as we have taught you. You live this way already, and we encourage you to do so even more. For you remember what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. 
Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this manner by violating his wife, for the Lord avenges all such sins as we have solemnly warned you before. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. But we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other, for God himself has taught you to love one another. Indeed, you already show your love for all the believers through Macedonia. Even so, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you to love them even more. Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live, and you will not need to depend on others. You can all sit down. Thanks. <clears throat> and I'll apologize now. Um, I'm recovered. Uh, the government says I'm safe, I'm not contagious, but I've, I was coughing so much this last week that I'm still a bit rusty. Uh, and I feel like my voice is always on the verge of cracking. So um, hopefully I get through without it, but um, you're welcome to laugh at me if my voice cracks or anything. So. I like your haircut. Thank you. Got it yesterday. <laughs> as soon as I was allowed out. <laughs> so the first thing I want to talk about in this passage, and there's a lot to talk about, uh, is the very first word, finally. I'm going to read these first couple verses again. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God as we have taught you. You live this way already, and we encourage you to do so even more. For you remember what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. So that word, finally, that he starts with, uh, there's a Greek word we usually translate it into English as finally. That is not a good translation. It is not a concluding word, which is finally. Finally is a concluding word. It says, I'm almost done. When I say finally at the end of my sermon, you assume that you've only got a couple more minutes left of listening to me. But that's not true when Paul says it here. It's not a concluding word. It's a word used to transition between thoughts. So this isn't wrapping up the letter. He isn't concluding. He's transitioning from what we've been looking at the last few weeks into a new thought. And that new topic is holiness. They are urging the Thessalonians to live in a way that pleases God. And the Thessalonians already know what he means by that because they were with them and they taught them what that meant. Now, when you read this, um, as when you read other parts of Scripture, you can kind of get the idea that Paul is saying Christians should live in the way Paul is instructive, uh, but if they don't, they will be missing out on some blessings that they could have experienced otherwise. That's not what Paul's saying. He's urging them, and his reference to the authority of Jesus that he was teaching with suggests that there is definitely a necessity that they live in a way that pleases God. It's not considered optional. Now, that isn't to say they weren't already doing well. He says they were already living this way, but he's encouraging them to do so even more. So what does that mean for them? Let's keep reading and find out. In verses 3 to 6, he says, God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans, who do not know God and his ways. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this manner by violating his wife, for the Lord avenges all such sins, as we have solemnly warned you before. Now, I think 
something that kind of came to my mind that I was thinking as I was studying this is that there's this assumption in, in society and in the church that God's will is something hidden and difficult to find. And I think in some personal situations that's definitely true. I mean, maybe where there's a big decision in your life uh, that will shape the future and, and you're not sure which path to take and you want to know what God's will is for you in your life. What does He want you to do? Where is He leading you? But in the day-to-day, in terms of ethical living, in terms of pursuing holiness in our lives, God's will is neither hidden or difficult to find. God's will for us is that we live lives of holiness. It's that we don't abuse or exploit others. His will for our lives is sanctification, holiness in our daily living. We, we may not always have all the answers as to the big things, but we should remember that doing God's will always begins with doing what He has already revealed to us and called us to do through His Word in our daily lives. So what does it mean to pursue holiness or to pursue sanctification? And if you're not familiar with the word sanctification, it is the process of the Holy Spirit working in your life, making you more and more like Jesus every day. It's the carrying on of the work Jesus began in you when you were saved, making you more and more holy. It's the process of being made holy. So what does it mean to pursue that? Now the commands we see in this passage in chapter 4, are examples of sanctified living. But they are definitely not exhaustive. That is not the whole picture. In this chapter, he's specifically talking about sexual purity. And certainly that could be a sermon all in itself, and maybe someday it will be. But today, while I think it's important to recognize the importance of those words and the importance of staying away from sexual sin, I think there's a much bigger point in this passage and to his thoughts that encompasses all of that, which is that God's will is for us to be holy. And that brings us to verses 7 and 8. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, because of that, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching but is rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. God has called us to live holy lives. And and notice how Paul has switched in his language from you to us. Uh, This calling is for everyone. It was not just for the Thessalonians. And it's not just for Paul. It's just as much for him as it was for them. It's as much for us as it is them too. And it's as much for me as it is you. It's for everyone who calls Jesus their Lord. We are all called to pursue holiness in our lives. Therefore, because God has called us to live holy lives, because of the fact that we are called to be changed, to be sanctified, he says that anyone who refuses to pursue holiness, anyone who continues to live an impure life, is choosing to reject God. That is a very intense statement. But think about it. Paul said in the first verses that these teachings did not come from them. They came from God. God's called us to live holy lives, and he gave the Holy Spirit to us as a gift to work in us, to change us, and to make us new. 
To reject that teaching is not just to reject a doctrine you disagree with, it's to reject the calling to live a holy life. It's to reject the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in you. Now, I want to be clear. Notice what he's not saying here. He's not referring to people who are tempted and struggle with sin. He's not referring to people who try and fall, but get back up and keep trying. He's, he's not referring to people who make mistakes, because we all make mistakes. We are not saved by doing good works. You can't earn your salvation. And that's kind of Christianity 101. But as you may remember from our study in James, you prove your salvation by doing good works. It's evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, working in you. This is referring to people who hear the teaching, who hear the commands of Jesus, and who hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in their life trying to work in them and shape them and say, no thanks, I don't think I want to be transformed. I think I'll just keep doing what I want to do. I want the ticket to heaven, but I don't want the, the change that comes with it. I like things the way they are. Or maybe uh, this, this section of, of what they want to do in my life offends me or I, I don't like it, so I'm not going to let that part change. Maybe if God can just come in and change this room and this closet and clean those up but leave this one alone. That's not how it works. We're called to pursue holiness, and that means to submit to transformation through the Holy Spirit. Now, we don't come perfect. We come sinners. But the Holy Spirit makes us more and more holy every day. There's no one foot in and one foot out of the transformation process, though. We can either submit to his transforming power in our lives and pursue holiness, or we can reject it and reject God in the process. All right, let's read these last couple verses. So he kind of switches gears a bit. He says, But we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other, for God himself has taught you to love one another. Indeed, you already show your love for all the believers through Macedonia. Even so, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you to love them even more. Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live, and you will not need to depend on others. So there's two things that set the Christians of the New Testament apart from Christians in the church today. Or no, sorry, that's not right. Christians of the New Testament apart from their society that they lived in. And that should set us apart from our society today. The first one is the purity of their lives. And then the second is the love that they had for each other. So Paul's moving from purity back to love. The Thessalonians already loved one another and understood the importance of it. And we've seen that as a consistent theme throughout this letter but they're still urged to show their love even more, and that's because Christian love is not something that is mastered. It's something that is continually practiced and something that's continually improved. So constantly and continually, Paul urges them to love each other even more. Then finally, he gives this message. Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands. And I've always loved that verse. I think it's one that... Um, Christians always need to be reminded of. The focus of this statement seems to be on depriving anyone outside of the church 
of anything to criticize. There's a twofold purpose to this teaching. First, their daily lives would win the respect of outsiders. Now, in one way, we have to live without thinking about what the world thinks of us. And we've kind of talked a bit about that. We have to follow God's teaching and will, even when it opposes the teaching and will of the world. But in another way, we always need to be thinking about the opinion of the world because we don't want to discredit our faith or discredit Jesus by being careless or sinful or hypocrites. We always want to be ambassadors of Jesus, doing nothing that could create a stumbling block to others while still following God's teaching and will. So that's the first reason that Paul gives them this teaching. The second purpose is so that they can be independent. And I don't want us to take too much out of this part. Um, It's not to say that we shouldn't help people who need help, but it's a reminder that if we're able to support ourselves, we should do so. I don't think we should, again, apply too much of this because there's probably a specific situation in the church that was happening, um, and he was probably speaking to that. So we don't want to pull too much of that where we don't know what the situation was, but uh, I do think that there's uh, something there to still be applied. Okay, so that is our passage for today, and there's a lot in these verses to unpack. Uh, We've been spending the past few weeks and months focusing on what faith looks like in uncertain times, when the world around us is changing and shifting, and we don't know what the future holds. So what can we learn about faith in times of uncertainty from this passage? Or, Or what can we learn and apply for us and how we should live in uncertain times, specifically about the importance of pursuing holiness? First of all, I think this is an important starting point, is that we don't come to faith as holy people. We don't come as holy people. We don't start out sanctified. We don't fix ourselves and then come to Jesus. We come as we are, broken, sinful people. It's a starting point. That is the point where God begins to work in us. It's not a finish line. And that's something that's really important for us to remember when we're dealing with people who are either new Christians or not yet Christians, is the importance of grace. God does not expect us to become perfect people in order to earn his forgiveness. He offers forgiveness as a free gift even though we are sinful people. And so we have to remember to extend that grace to others as well. In John 8 verses 1 to 11, Jesus speaks to a woman caught in adultery. The Pharisees say she should be stoned to death for her sin. And Jesus tells them, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone, and one by one they all leave. Then Jesus said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? And she said, no. Then he tells her, neither do I. Go and sin no more. The woman was not sinless. She wasn't holy or sanctified. She was a sinner. She was caught in the act of adultery. And according to the law of Moses, she could have been stoned to death. But instead, Jesus chooses to forgive her. He doesn't say, go fix yourself, go stop being a sinner, come back, and then I will forgive you and you can be my follower. He doesn't say, if you go become a good person, then you won't be condemned for your sin. He simply says, neither do I condemn you. Her sin is forgiven in her current state of sinfulness, right then and there, That is her starting point. 
But notice he also says, go and sin no more. And that one statement brings us to the second application, which is that we do not stay in faith as impure people. Sinfulness is the starting point. That is where we begin. We are given forgiveness in our sinful state. It's not conditional on us forgiving ourselves, but that is not where we stay. Jesus did not condemn the woman caught in adultery, but he said, go and sin no more, because now that she had been forgiven, God's will for her life was holiness. And now that we have been forgiven, his will for us is holiness as well. God has called us to live holy lives. And that doesn't mean we're perfect overnight or even in this lifetime because we will not be perfect in this lifetime. But it does mean that that is our goal, to be more like Jesus tomorrow than we are today and to be less sinful today than we were yesterday. When you choose to follow Jesus, you are dedicating your entire life to him, your thoughts, your choices, your actions, your deeds, every moment. All of it is to honor him. You may not always get it right. In fact, you won't. You will stumble many times in life and you will make many mistakes and you will sin. But the goal should be to pursue holiness. Now the thing is, and this is where it gets tricky for us, we don't get to pick and choose what it means to be holy. We don't get to decide that. God defines what holiness is. We just follow Sometimes that isn't easy. In fact, it would be a lot easier if we could just decide what holiness means. But that is what we have signed up for. And if we refuse to pursue holiness in our lives, and just, just as a side note, it's not just us pursuing. The Holy Spirit is walking alongside us and doing the work in us. But if we refuse to allow him to do that, and if we don't pursue it, if we say, you know what, I want the ticket to heaven, but I don't want the change. I don't want to be transformed. I don't want to surrender my life. Paul says we aren't just rejecting rules that we disagree with. We're actually rejecting God. And it's important for us to understand that distinction because in times of uncertainty, it isn't always easy to pursue holiness. Sometimes it brings opposition to our doorstep. But we can't stay where we started we have to pursue holiness in our lives. Go and sin no more. The third application from this passage is that lives lived in faith win the lives of others. What does it look like to live a life in faith? Well, it's what we've been talking about today and for the past few months. Paul described it today, loving each other, leading a quiet life, minding your own business, and working with dedication. Colossians 3.23 says, Work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. In everything we do, even if you think you know more than your boss, you do your work as if you were working for God himself. When you live a quiet, respectful life, working with integrity and dedication at everything you do. And when you love everyone around you, people will notice. It will win the respect of others, and they will notice that there is something different about you. Lives like that can open doors that a conversation never could. A thousand words are not as powerful 
as lives lived in faith. One job I got a couple years ago, this is a bit of a digression, but um, there was three or four people from my church that worked at this office. And so when I applied, they hired me. And a few years later, um, my boss had told me one of the reasons they hired me was that everyone they'd hired who was a Christian was such a good, dedicated worker with upstanding integrity that they knew that I would be the same. And, and to me, especially in today's society, that is a very big statement to the importance and the power of living lives in faith with integrity and working for everyone as if it was God himself. So to conclude this morning, God has called us to live holy lives. And that's an actual finishing comment. I'm not just using a Greek word that doesn't actually mean to finish. He called us to pursue holiness. He does accept us as we are in the midst of our sin and brokenness. And he offers us his love and forgiveness, but then he tells us to go and sin no more. God's will is not some mystical thing. His will for our daily lives can be found throughout the pages of Scripture. He calls all of us to live holy lives, to allow his spirit to transform and renew us, to make us more like him every day. We don't come to faith as holy people. We come as sinners. But we submit to him. We offer ourselves for his purposes. And he changes us. We don't stay impure people. We're made new. We begin our race in pursuit of holiness. We will never be perfect in this lifetime, but if we do pursue holiness, if we live our lives in faith, living quiet lives, turning from sin, working with integrity, as if it were God himself we're working for, people will notice. Doors will open and lives will be changed. So as we leave here this morning, let's continue to follow the example that has been set before us by the early church, the apostles and Jesus and follow God's will for our lives by living in pursuit of holiness. Father God, we thank you so much for the free gift of eternal life that you've given us through your Son, Jesus. We thank you for the free gift that you've given us of the Holy Spirit to work in us and to change our lives. We thank you that we don't have to earn our salvation, but we also thank you that you love us so much that you're willing to work in us and make us holy. We ask that you would help us to pursue that and to pursue holiness through all the days of our lives, to live our lives in faith as testimonies to you. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. We hope that this week's teaching was a blessing and an encouragement to you. If you live in the New Glasgow area, we would love for you to come and join us for our Sunday gathering. For information on service times, location, and more, check out our website at ngcc.ca. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening and have a great week.